Well, hello, Love and Grit family, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Laia. I'm Justin. And I'm Rachel. And boy, do we have a good show for you today. So let's keep it funky. When it comes to books, you are just about to finish your latest one, or it's been way too long since you've opened one, or maybe you're somewhere in the middle. Well, this episode we have is What You Need to Read. First, we speak to Khalil Munir, performer, educator, and author who is here to let our boys know the crown is yours. Then we dive into some surprisingly fun Philly history with Natalie Pompilio, author of This Used to Be Philadelphia. But first, around the Philly faves, and the topic is... What are you looking most forward to for the holidays? Where do you want to go? Well, I'm looking forward to New Year's Eve being on the weekend. You're skipping off. You're going right to the end of the holidays. <laughs> well, that's okay. Look, it's my selection. So it I is. I can choose what I want. And Shoot. you just let us know New Year's Eve is on a weekend. Say, what? Yes. Then you get to also enjoy New Year's Day on a Saturday. So Ooh, there's, mm. yes, plenty of fun. There's Rivers Casino New Year's Eve fireworks on the waterfront. And then there's Visit Philadelphia New Year's Day Spectacular. So this is the first time that we're also having additional fireworks. And so nice. that is exciting. Going love out love. with a bang. Okay, so I'll say everything at Dilworth Park because I just love the way they transformed that whole area to like the whole ice skating ring and it's really pretty some shopping and stuff it looks so pretty with city hall such a beautiful backdrop and the way it's lit it's a big old tree and it's good for social media i will be taking selfies at the zoo philadelphia zoo has illumination which is back for a second year this year it brings me back to my childhood. We used to go, they would decorate part of the zoo with lights and it was just cool to be at the zoo at night, but we oh, would wow. take our Christmas picture there, me and my brothers, and it would like end up on the car. You should do that again as like you a should. gift for your mom. She would love that if you, you and your and brothers. And what a cheap way to do a Christmas photo shoot. Yeah, the, So what we're doing this year is we're going to the Sixers game together right before Christmas. So we'll take one there. Are you guys going to have cute matching jerseys on? No, no, no. I mean, the kids do. I'm not. You should too. That's nice. Talk to some authors. Oh, yeah, that's right. What we're reading today. You should know by now that we here at Love & Grip love to brag about our multi-talented Philadelphians. And Khalil Munir is the poster child of this tribe. We first met Khalil Munir as a dynamic tap dancing talent who was and is defying his birthright as a NICU baby born with a hidden disability. Fast forward, a wife, a beautiful son later, the inspiration for his first book, The Crown Is Yours, is born. And he continues to educate about growing up with dyslexia and other challenges that faced his youth. Can I talk about how how special your book is. Like I have a little boy who's four years old and you probably hear him in the background right now. And it's it's my life, you know, it's just real talk. And it's so special because it's so important to find books that speak to him, that have those positive affirmations that have characters that look like him And even with your background as an educator, the few times when he does have a black male teacher, how he responds to that, how that teacher will speak to him. It Mm -hmm. is so special. This is why I wrote the book just for little brown boys and girls to see themselves. I feel like this message is a universal message to be able to tell someone that their crown is theirs, but they have to have the courage to wear it. It allows them the possibility, right? The possibility to say, you know, what do I get to be courageous about? And I think that's a universal message. Whether you're 4, 40, or 80, I think that message can resonate with you. 
One of the things that jumps out when reading your story is that you were less than two pounds when you were born, which is hard to even picture. You did a one man show like that name, right? Yeah. One pound, four ounces. That's the name of the show. I start with my birth and I end with my son's birth. But along the journey, you learn about my history in regards to, of course, being born one pound, four ounces. It talks about my mother's drug addiction. It talks about my father's incarceration. It speaks about me getting shot at 11 years old, finding the arts, teaching myself how to tap dance, going to California, exploring that, coming back because my mom was sick, meeting my wife, falling in love, and then having our child. And that's the whole arc of the show. Can I ask you a question? So you as a dancer, what was that like in the very beginning? Because a lot of times with youth and males and and especially in our culture, whether it's our culture saying it or just other people putting it on us, but it's like, oh, the basketball and, and in sports. And so what was that like for you as a young person pursuing that craft? A, a little uh, spoiler alert. We're working on two more books. And the second book, talks about this exact thing. You know it's, it's needed. It is, Absolutely. It is needed because I'm from South Philadelphia. I grew up in that culture of basketball. I love basketball. That was my first love. When I was 11 years old, after I won the oratorical contest, my teachers got me involved in the arts at Freedom Theater. And my neighborhood friends, they made fun of me because I chose to go to the theater and not play basketball in the summertime with them. And when I say chose, I really didn't choose. <laughs> My teachers forced me to go and I just gave over to it after I saw this sense of freedom. And honestly, as a child, looking back, I was an angry child because I was dealing with so much trauma, being bounced from house to house. I didn't get to my mom until I was 11 years old. So I was living with my aunts. I was living with my grandparents for years until I got to my mother. So once that transition of unfortunately getting shot at 11, that following year, I had the opportunity to be a part of Freedom Theater. I had to audition and I, and I made it. And then I was like, OK, you're making me do this. So I'm going to give over to it. It took a few months, but it's so important to give that voice to that little boy to say, you have a choice. You don't have to play basketball. And boys do dance. They took us to see bringing the noise, bringing the funk. Yeah. And when I tell you, it changed everything. I saw strong black men on stage and they were dancing and they looked like me. I was like, oh my God, I want to do this. So me and my best friend, I'm aging myself a little bit. We got the VCR. We slowed down their feet. We took whatever we learned in the VCR, went into the basement, tried to figure it out. And then we would meet each other and say, yo, what did you learn? Oh, this is what I learned. And then we would like trade steps with each other. And we taught ourselves how to become tap dancers. Even going back, when I was little, I remember Zubily Zoo. Oh, yes. I loved Zubily Zoo. Like you sing the Zubilee theme song. Zubily Zoo. Zubily <laughs> no. right? Zoo. That was beautiful. Zubily Zoo. But Ben Vereen was one of the <gasps> leading dancers on Zubily Zoo. Yes. This black man jumping and leaping across the stage. And I was like, wow. That's beautiful. Did you know that the woman who taught Ben Bereen how to dance was no other than Prodigy from Mob Deep's grandmother? Are you serious? Because she was an original Cotton Club dancer. Take that history, you welcome. And that's why back in that whole Jay-Z versus him beat thing, when they put the the picture on the wall in the tights, tights. he was wearing tights because he was at his grandmother's dance studio. And he was thinking like you, I'm going to go hang in my grandmother's dance studio so I can get these girls. The girls. 
I used to tell it's my smart. friends all the time. My defense was two things. Michael Jordan wears tights. Y'all don't talk about him. And two, all day long, you guys are on the block hanging out with each other. I'm in the dance studio with okay, young Okay, Khalil with the clap back. I like yeah. that. I like that. Girls but wait, let me them. ask you then. So how did you meet your wife? I'm just so curious. It's the weirdest thing. So I've known my wife since she was 12 years old. We did shows together. We went overseas together. We did all this stuff together as friends. Fast forward after college and I was in California for a while. And when I moved back to Philadelphia, I needed a job. And she was doing this after school program, teaching dance. She needed an acting teacher. So we started working together and we were getting ready to go to Panama. We wanted to work out and get in shape to dance or whatever. We're doing African dance. And as we started working out, I was like, Siobhan is not little Siobhan anymore. This is like, she's a grown woman. She got her stuff together. So I was like, ooh, all right, cool. And I just got out of a relationship. So I was trying to like pump my brakes, but I was like, yo, I think I like Siobhan. This is weird because I've known you almost your whole life. We were just kicking it one day and I was like, I think I like you. And she was like, well, I think I like you too. She so, says about time you said something. Right. Dang. I'll be slow. So that was, right? That was tap, tap. <laughs> that was weird telling everybody too. It was like Khalil and Siobhan are dating. Wow. And then when we had a child, it was like, what? Folks need to follow y'all on the Instagram because to see y'all dance together is like, oh. Uh, but back to the book. I'm sorry. We got distracted. We didn't even talk about the dyslexia. We got to the NICU place. <laughs> Actually, the school that I work for, Delaware Valley Friends School, is a school for children who have disabilities, who learn differently. I actually went there. I'm an alum. When I came to the school, I was 14 reading on a second grade reading level at 14 years old. So school for me was very difficult before I came to DV. Just I'm going to paint the picture. One, my home life wasn't the best. Again, I didn't get to my mom until I was 11. I had drugs in and out of the house due to my cousin's drug activity. We would wake up to crack scales. We would play with guns. Then on top of that, you're dealing with your father's incarcerated. Your mother's dealing with her addiction. She's getting herself together. You don't really know because they're keeping you in the dark because you're a little boy. So you're stressed about where's mommy. I know where daddy is, but where is mommy? So you have all of that. And then you throw a learning disability on top of that. And you don't know that you are diagnosed with this thing. So now you're believing all the stigmas that are coming at you. And now you have to go to school. But once I was diagnosed, my fourth grade teacher, Jean Sugars, and her friend, who are still close to me to this day, Vicki Levinson and Don Levinson, they got me tested. A test is like $3,000. Oh, no. That's how much a test costs to get your child diagnosed oh, no. with a disability. Yeah, it's crazy. My life would have been completely different had these people not stepped into my life and like put it on a different trajectory. So in fourth grade, when I won the oratorical contest, that shifted everything. That piece of paper shifted my whole life trajectory. So you said you're writing two more books? I am. So the first book, The Crown is Yours, Malik is really like getting the courage to deal with his dyslexia. And in the book, purposely, I had him diagnosed at a younger age because I wanted to speak to early intervention because I didn't get diagnosed until I was 14. Just imagine if I had the resources when I was eight or nine or even six to get diagnosed and to get the resources to do better. And this is some of the things that I see every day working at a school for children with dyslexia, dysgraphia, ADHD. But there's another component to this. You know, there's a wealth gap component to this. I teach in a place that's just full of affluence. 
it costs some money to come to our school. I mean, yes, they do scholarships and things of that nature, but a lot of folks in the inner city where I'm from don't know about these resources or don't even know about these types of schools for children who look like me. Isn't it amazing, though, when you think back and look back, you were talking about the full arc. When you think about when you were that age, yes. I mean, how much has changed, but also how much hasn't? Yes, there are certain lanes that we're all expected to be in. Also, we're all very deeply affected by what happens to us when we're young. Yeah. And we know that, but we don't put money into education. And I think that's why I wrote the book. I wanted to plant these seeds because if I can plant the seed in a child, it's really the seed of possibility is what I'm trying to plant. Because now they have the opportunity to see the world in a different way, from a place of power and not from being a victim. Every child gets to see themselves and gets to wear that crown proudly and boldly. That's one of the reasons why I wrote the book. I feel like this conversation we just had leads to the second book in a way, right? Yeah. So what happened because of COVID, when the shows got canceled at the Jewish Museum, I said, well, how else can I reach an audience? So I started taking parts in my life and creating children's books. So this particular story is from my fourth grade experience of having the oratorical contest and having my teacher see something in me and having my mother see something in me to go after this particular contest. I just use the crown as a metaphor in the book. Spoiler alert, first book, Malik wins the oratorical contest and he gets accepted to the ABC Performing Arts Training Program, aka Freedom Theater. That's when he struggles because all of his friends are going to play basketball and Ah. he got accepted to the ABC Performing Arts Training Program, and he wants to play basketball. Every time his friends, they make fun of him, his crown disappears. But when he enters to the theater, it gets a little brighter. When he hears the affirmations, I respect myself, it gets a little brighter. When his mother is pouring into him, it gets a little brighter. So he's getting the courage to actually stand in his power. And then he winds up standing up to his friends like, yo, I am who I am and I'm going to be who I am and you can't determine who I am. He moves forward with that purpose in the second book. Mm. I'm so proud of myself for knowing you. Mm -mm. (laughs) (laughs) How do you want people to follow you? What's the next thing you want people to make sure they pay attention to? I have the books coming out so you can follow my Instagram, Crown is Yours. You can go to crownisyours.com to purchase books. I'm also working on a documentary about my middle name. What's Um, your middle name? Abdul Malik Rahim. Whoa. I said his name is Khalil Abdul Malik Rahim Munir. Yes. Got it. Now that's that's Philly. Yes. So I'm named after three of my father's best friends who have life in prison. This is so heavy. I can't. (laughs) So we're, we're telling that story. And really a story about father and sons and black men healing. That's what the documentary is about. Okay. Listen, this is my goal. My goal is for my son to be able to see his father as an author, as an actor, performer. The biggest picture for me is to be able to have my son see me thrive through my art. Listen, there is no doubting Natalie Pompilio's dedication and infatuation with all things Philly. Her credentials and book titles say it all. 
She has worked for the Philadelphia Inquirer and the Daily News. Not to mention, but let's mention it, she's written the books, Walk in Philadelphia, 30 Walking Tours featuring art, architecture, history, and little known gems, more Philadelphia murals and the stories they tell, and even a children's book, Philadelphia A to Z. <laughs> but now she's opening the vault to Philly's best kept secrets in her new book, This Used to Be Philadelphia. And we are here for all the dish. I don't want to tell my home state of New Jersey how I've betrayed them, uh, <laughs> but I basically have. I've gone all Philly all the time. I've lived here longer than I lived anywhere else. And I'm still excited every time I walk down the street. I was just coming across town after visiting my sister. And every time I look at a building, I think, I should put that building in. I should put that building in. I want to go home and look up the history of this. How far does your sister live from you? Because I think it's so interesting when families work together on like special projects or even in their day-to-day jobs. So A, how far does your sister live from you? B, what was that like working with your sibling on the book? Well, she lives six blocks from me. I knew it was crazy close. She's the one who has all the children, so I'm there all the time. It takes a village. That's auntie love right there. The two younger ones go to Catholic school, and today I was telling them about the covenant of the ants. I said, God came from on high and said, and when your aunt is old and has no children, you will take care of her. (laughs) Say it again. My aunt used to say that to me when I was a kid, and now I'm that person. I'm like, remember, though, God said it. This is a covenant. I need them to carry me around someday. Yeah. So we're crazy close to each other. We see each other a lot. But doing the book is interesting because most of the time it's me researching alone. And then I will take her and drive her around different locations. And she'll yell at me to get the car out of the picture. That was this used to be Philadelphia's pattern. Can we talk about this book? Because I'm not usually a big history buff, but the way you break it down is really cool because I think the majority of us who live in Philadelphia don't know the history past maybe the last 40 or so years. Yeah. Well, what's interesting, when I started to do this book, friends who have lived here forever said, this is a good idea because people in Philadelphia can't let go. (laughs) When they give directions, they'll say, okay, turn left at the Bonwit Teller. You know where that is? No. It hasn't been there in years. It's like <laughs> chestnut. But it's in the book and you'd know it because Rocky went there in one of the Rocky movies and bought like a crazy coat. They still call it Wanamakers. Yeah. Philadelphia love their places. It's so different because I won't give up. And if I find something interesting, a building, I will keep digging and digging and digging until it drives me crazy. And then I'll spend like two hours or three and I have like a sentence for it. But it's a good sentence. It's interesting. Tell us about like why this is so different. And I want you to tell some of these stories. It is a COVID project. While we were doing it, our father was in the hospital with COVID and he died during the writing of the book. So then we got to dedicate it to him. And we knew that he would be so excited. I want to know your favorite story. And did he have a favorite story? I live on an alley off an alley in South Philly. And he's a dad. He's like, I don't like you walking those alleys. Yeah. And I'm like, well, how am I going to get home? <laughs> like, are going to helicopter me in? Like, drop me on the roof or something? He's like, oh, those alleys. I think I love that the first story in the book is about Moya Mensing Prison. That's the Acme where I shop. And America's first serial killer was put to death there. And I'm wondering, like, if I'm buying produce, was it here? Was it over there in milk? We don't know. Was so- it a state prison? Yes, And it was right in the middle of the city. It was right there where that Acme is. 
11th and Reed. That's unbelievable. I didn't expect you to say that for first. I mean, I know that there's a lot of firsts that people traditionally know about Philadelphia That's and the why region. This book is good, Rachel. That's why it dives into other firsts that you would have no idea. Notorious. So you, oh, that's a great way to explain it. Yes. 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 Give us another one, Natalie, please. Like another notorious story. So I'm my pharmacy, the Rite Aid at 10th and Christian was part of the Palumbo Entertainment Complex. Long my parents got married there. Yeah. People yeah. know it. Like there was one day, I think there were like 30 weddings there, but it has- It all burnt down, right? Yeah. So what the stories I got out of that are people thought it was connected to the mob because on a wiretap, there was reference to that there was a clean phone at Palumbo's that you could use. There's another thing is that he donated animals to the zoo. And so like, they would name them after him. And they named, I think it was a hippopotamus after his daughter. And she was like, no, no, please, please name a pretty animal after me. But they did eventually do that. That's so funny. So you mentioned the Philadelphia Zoo. We know that's a first. What are some of the other firsts that are traditional that we as Philadelphians may know, but if a listener was not as familiar with our areas, what are a few firsts that you can share? First kidnapping with a ransom note. <laughs> that's I, didn't, I didn't expect you to go there. How do you find these things out? You know, I was talking to a friend who used to work at Visit Philly and, <laughs> and we just both are geeks this way. They didn't tell you to promote Mother's Day as the first. People visit cities for things like this, though, Rachel. Oh, yeah. So she mentioned it. And I'm like, I have to get in the book. So I, I got it in by there's an auction house that you pass by on the walk. The ransom notes went up for auction there. So I was like, I don't care how tenuous this connection is. I'm getting this in. How much did it sell for, you know? Oh, yes. Well, how about this? The ransom for the kid was $20,000 in whatever year it was, 18, whatever. Wow, that's a lot of money in the 18s. Yeah, it was like almost half a million dollars at that time. The letter sold for $20,000. Wow. I was like, you can't make this up. This is crazy. What okay. made you get into like the weird stuff or the offbeat stuff? He's like, I don't want to be rude and call it weird. <laughs> My biggest regret in the update of this book is that there are maps of whorehouses in Philadelphia with ratings. And I found the whole write-up about it. What? I, I just didn't have enough time to get it into a walk. You are making <laughs> Rachel's head explode. <laughs> Natalie, you have proven to people that this is not scripted because I would have been like, wait, whorehouses, love and grit, wait. You said grit, didn't you? You said grit. And plenty of love. And plenty of love. <laughs> For the right price in uh, Philadelphia. We, we know Thomas Jefferson wrote the Declaration of Independence right. here, blah, 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 blah. But did you know that he was harassed by horseflies the whole time? And he complained the entire time to the landlord. But the landlord said, there's nothing we can do. I don't even know where he lived. What he was renting a room. Um, it's called Declaration House. It's on Market, around like 8th and Market, I think. So people always ask us, what should we do in Philadelphia? Our answers would obviously be very different for yours. So if I said I had a friend coming in for a weekend, what would you tell them to do in Philadelphia? The benches in uh, Independence area where you sit down. The once upon a nation. Yes, you get to hear a story and it's, it's an offbeat story. I always tell people go to the Museum of the American Revolution, which is awesome. You don't think that you're going to get teary eyed by the sight of a dirty tent, but you do. Also, the Constitution Center that in the round opening, 
I think is beautiful. And I'd say get out there and walk and don't look at your phone. Mm. Look up. There's so many cool. A challenge. What about as we approach the 250th of the country, is there for you special history or landmarks that you feel people don't know about that really stand out? I didn't know that there was a whole anti-slavery portion of the Declaration of Independence. And Thomas Jefferson wrote it, despite the fact that- The guiltiest of guilt. (laughs) Yeah. In his autobiography, he's like, oh, he took it out because of the Southern states, but the Northern ones didn't want to deal with it anyway. So I was fascinated by that. And I just thought maybe I was poorly educated. So my mm-hmm. husband was really smart. And he was like, no, I didn't know that. Okay. No. There's so many stories. Like we just got that Octavius Cato statue at City Hall. You see how he's going to the ballot box? Yeah. Yeah. He was killed. Trying to, to get people to vote. Kill the vote. And he was a young man. He was in his like 20s. Mm. Also, he was an athlete. And he's mentioned in, this used to be Philadelphia, because he was a baseball player. And their baseball team was so good, the Pythians, they wanted to play the white teams. The white teams were like, no. But they finally got one game, and I found the Inquirer article about it. Or or Mae Washington, also in the book, one of the greatest tennis players of her age, as Arthur Ashe said, mm. she didn't play anyone you know because she was a black woman. What happens to all of these little facts? How do we keep all of it alive, I, I guess? We write it down. I, I can't imagine how much we've lost it's Mm. kind of scary and sad to think of but when you stumble upon it get it in print tell people i love talking about this book because even with people who've lived here i'm like you're gonna learn at least something i'd like to say like i give you your money back if you didn't learn anything but come on don't push it that far come on (laughs) you seem to like keep finding more as you peel back the onion what direction would you go in next I would love to do another mural book. Yes. I think a lot of people just think it's pictures on the wall. They don't know the stories behind right. it. You know, what what thought goes into everyone and who does it? I would read that book. No other city in the world has no nope. murals like we do. Oh, Natalie, thank you so much for this book. Those books. Thank you for the books. Yeah, Laia wants to do the 30-hour walk. In the spring. Not- no sleep, <laughs> straight through, Red Bull. Well, you know, I, like I said, I just updated it. You're going to read about the kidnapping. How exciting is that? Wait, there was a note. Laia earlier was telling us about it was a prison break and then they said, serve us better food and then we'll come back or something. Can, can I just hear that really quickly? Yeah, yeah that was at Moya Mensing Prison. If you look at the pictures in the book, it looked like a castle. It's so intimidating. But in like a 10-year period, like 10 people escaped. What did the note say to the prison? Yeah. This food isn't fit for pigs. Also, inmates are locked in their dungeons for 21 hours a day. We all hope you tear this joint down tomorrow. Then maybe, all in caps, we'll come back. Love and Grit storefront, an amazing art installation all around the city. Rachel was so excited that it looked like she shot confetti out of her head when she unveiled it. And everyone can see it all around the city or at visitphilly.com. This project is extremely important and extremely special. It was months in the making and it's following up and continuing with our Black and Brown Owned Business Initiative. It's an art exhibit throughout the region that had 12 artists highlighting 
black and brown owned businesses on empty spaces. You know, as a result of the pandemic, some of the stores that are no longer there, we wanna make sure that we're encouraging folks to shop black and brown owned businesses this holiday season and beyond. And a continuation of that, we will also have our Love & Grit sweepstakes once again with amazing oh, yes. prizes beautiful stores. Yes, check it out, it, check it out. I was talking to somebody yesterday and they were like, I need to win this because oh, I, I could give everyone I know one of the gifts and still have enough for myself. So people they're a great love gifts. this Yes, list. that's true. Yes. That's true. I love this. I love you and Justin. Thank God for representation. We always talk about it on this show, but do know that if it was not for the representation of these two people, we would not be having these kind of initiatives. So plow, plow, and you're welcome. Thank oh, you for I saying yeah. that. Yes. And this is all grown out of love and grit, which is so amazing. And thank you for the people who have listened with us. And we know we're adding more listeners and we appreciate you guys being here. Rate or review us. Rachel, what do you always tell them? If you have something positive to say, by all means, please do. We appreciate it. Positive energy all the way. And if it's negative, just keep it to yourself. Okay, thank you. And have a great holiday season. <laughs> <laughs>